Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode number 83. And today we have a fascinating interview with Larry Schiller. You guys are going to want to take notes on this one. I know I say that every week, but it's really true this week. See you on the inside. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. Hi there, and welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast. Today, we are so excited to have Larry Schiller on, and we are going to be talking about grit and resiliency and small business, and let me tell you, what better time than now (laughs) to be talking about this topic. So, Larry, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, hi, Michelle. Nice to be, nice to be with you uh, and to all your listeners. Hope everyone's safe uh, and well. Uh, I'm holed up with my family here in Wilton, Connecticut, and uh, we're actually enjoying it, making the best of, you know, the situation. We don't want to judge it. We're just going to enjoy it. Um, what, uh, normally, what, uh, what I do, uh, still doing it, I write curricula for homeschool children, Montessori-based uh, and Socratic-based curricula for kids to learn at home. Now, we've typically targeted homeschool kids, and now there's a lot of homeschool kids. So we're very busy because lots of people need curricula, especially math and language arts, the core curriculum subjects, uh, for their 3- to 13-year-olds. Uh, so we have that. We actually have some free stuff. If your listeners are interested, I'll give you a link later. You're, you're welcome to promote it to, to uh uh, free fractions uh, kit uh, that's based on Montessori. The other thing that I do is I provide, I'm working on a startup where we provide a no-code data solution for startups, for other startups, to ingest, store, and report on their data uh, it, without having to do any code. So most startups, you know, they get a new customer, they have a new road to the customer table, and after a couple of months, they have 16 Excel spreadsheets. We solve all that problem. So they can focus on their business, not on their data. Um, I mention that because uh, we uh, are interested in bringing uh, more efficiency uh, to the market, and you know we kind of kind of uh, need that today uh, more than ever. Uh, but uh, happy to be with you and uh, share uh, uh, information and, and discussion on this really important topic of grit and resiliency. Right, and that's really what brought us uh, brought us together. I think over I think over LinkedIn. And so, why don't we actually just start here? Why don't you define for us how um, grit or resiliency are they the same thing? Are they different things? Like, talk to us about what they actually mean because we hear a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I define grit, and there are a bunch of definitions of what grit and really resiliency are. So I'll just give you my definition of how I'm using it in this conversation. We, we define grit as the ability to work through negative emotions to reach your goal. And it, it is a pretty compact definition. It wasn't easy to come up with. So, but once we had it, it, it really, it, it applies to so many situations in life, you know, and basically, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy says, look, you're feeling one way and you can choose to act according directly by your feelings, which is what a lot of animals do. Their amygdala go off and then they act according to that directly. Or as humans, we have the ability to press pause and let our 
you know, frontal lobes take over and decide what's our goal in this situation. We're feeling this way, great, but what's our goal? And use that feeling to understand reality better and then choose the behavior that's best in that situation. And so if you're able to, that's really kind of a necessary component of grit. And if you're able to do that, uh, you are much more able to exhibit uh, grit behavior and grit values. I think that's so true. And we talk, we talk about that a lot um, when, you know, tolerating negative emotion, I've got to tell you, cleaning, sanitizing, making sure you're meeting all your critical limits, not always the most interesting work and, and does, frankly, re rely on tolerating boredom. Um, and we talk a lot about relying on your prefrontal cortex versus sort of the more um, habitual thoughts that we have. And I think that's super interesting that you teach this to kids. So tell me, what led you to this work? Well, you know, it, how I, we actually came up with, we actually came up with a, a, a piece of software, an app that measures and builds grit. And I, and, and that all, that's through uh, the Schiller Learning and uh, which is part of a nonprofit called the Rising Stars Foundation. And it's a very useful tool for employers uh, as well as college admissions uh, departments to see, geez, the person that they're admitting to their school is the person that we're, we're about to offer employment to, uh, do they have grit? Because employee, employees with grit, they're gonna stay at their job longer, uh, they're gonna be more productive, and they're gonna learn faster and be able to grow in their job. These are three great things that any employer would want in an employee. And at schools, the, you know, 39% of students don't graduate from a four-year university, even if you give them six years to do it. It's a huge <laughs> number. So the number one criteria, believe it or not, whether it's Harvard or a local community college, the number one thing that they want from their students is to graduate. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have grit, you're not gonna graduate. So it's really important for a school to admit students with grit. And also students with grit, they're gonna be more successful in life. It'll enhance the reputation of their alma mater and they're more likely to contribute money back to it. So there's a lot of wins for a college to, to admit students with grit. Now, w w w the way this all came about was <clears throat> uh, we have this, as I mentioned, this curricula for three to 13 year olds. And a lot of parents were saying, Larry, how come you don't have a curricula for like 14 and up? Like we'd like to extend the method, it works great. So we were toying with this and playing the idea. And I said, you know what, I'm gonna develop a, an online component because what we have for three to 13 year olds is a multi-sensorial, hands-on, kinesthetic, auditory, tactile activities, you know, this, as kids get older, they don't need as much of that. So we, we designed an online program and, uh, and we went through a lot of work, a lot of expense, ran it through beta testing and 80% of the teenagers who went through the app failed to finish a single topic. We said, well, what a huge failure. This is like, you know, we're really going to piss off our customers here. You know, like 80% of them <laughs> are going to like, you know, not use the product. So uh, through my data work, that's the other hat that I wear, I, I found myself uh, consulting on data strategy at Yale University, and I'm, in, I'm at the School of Medicine talking to a bunch of deans and professors and other people, researchers, where everybody introduces themselves, and then they said, Larry, tell us about you. And I said, well, I start failed businesses. And they said, well, what do you mean by that? 
And I told them the story uh, of, of this product. But I noticed they were listening with rapt attention. They hung on every word. And like, you know, I've told the story. It's like, it's not that interesting. So I asked them, I said, you know, what, what was it about this story you guys found so interesting? And almost in unison, they said, we want to know who the other 20% is. And that was just a facepalm moment. Like, oh my gosh, what I had unwittingly discovered was a way to find students with grit. The 20% of the students who actually completed the topic have grit. So I completely reformed the product uh, and turned it into what I call Gritter Profile, gritterprofile.org. Anybody can go there for free. An employer, you know, we're, we're allowing employers to use this. And so we're in a beta test form. You can use it for free now. So any employer can go in, sign up, uh, and employees or prospective employees can now go in and they can uh, measure and they'll actually build their own grit. So we measure grit values and grit abilities. So for example, if uh, they could pick their own topics. So they go in and they say, you know, let me, I know this topic, let me go pick it. And they answer every question very quickly. They get everything correct. We give them immediate feedback, transfer feedback. Say, look, what's your value system? Do you want to just get everything right all the time and everything's going to be easy for you? Well, that's the value system you're showing. How about picking a topic that's hard? And so then they might go and say, okay, let me pick a topic that's hard. I'm going to miss a few questions. Look, we don't care if they get it right or wrong. We're observing their behavior. And so what do they do when they get something wrong? They don't know the answer. They're going to experience some negative emotions. They're going to feel frustration. Um, some, you know, they might not feel as good about themselves, whatever it is, they might feel angry, or they might say, you know, why am I being asked to put in this position, whatever it is, and people have different reactions to it. And we've asked people what their reactions are. We want to see how they behave, and we want to give them tools and immediate feedback so they can uh, leverage that negative emotion into positive behavior. So they have lots of, you know, they can ask questions to tutor box, they can, there's a hint button they can click. Um, they can look at their past history of questions, which could help them. Anything. They can Google stuff. It's an open book thing. So uh, what we find is uh, that people sometimes feel like it's wrong to ask for help. So we observe that. We notice they didn't do it. So we feed back to them immediately. It's like, you know, it's okay to ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And over time, they start to use the tools. And over time, their grid values go up and their grid abilities go up. So you can actually see it over time how they've improved which is consistent with the work of Carol Dweck, uh, who's a professor of psychology at Stanford University, wrote a book called Mindset, uh, amazing uh, a book, where she talks about having a, a fixed mindset where, you know, look, you, so much you can accomplish, no matter how hard you're working, you're not gonna accomplish more. People give up easily with a fixed mindset. And then there's a growth mindset, which is, look, I'm gonna fail. It's both, you know, doesn't matter, people fail all the time. How do you deal with that failure? And uh, people with a growth mindset, you know, they have just the same negative emotions as anybody else, but they, they suck it up and they say, well, look, well, all right, let me understand why I failed. Let me get better at it. So uh, the, the breakthrough in this book is what Carol Dweck says, you might have a fixed mindset, but we don't have a fixed mindset about you. You can develop a growth mindset. So that's pretty cool. Um, and right. That's, no, that's pretty that's, interesting. I mean, what we talk about here is, is when is, is developing the capability. And, you know, like we're developing, we're developing the capability right now to have three kids at home that we are homeschooling again, because we homeschooled them a while back. 
um, and run a business out of our house. And, and I think that, I think a lot of what you're talking about is developing, developing capabilities and being, and giving yourself some grace to fail and to allow yourself to, to move forward. So how, like what in your, like what's your unique skill set that, that led you to this? Because this is uh, this is a pretty, I mean, there are not a whole lot of people doing this sort of work really and bringing it. I mean, there are people who are doing it in the ivory tower, of course. Right. And, and there are some books, there's Carol Dweck's book, there's Angela Duckworth's book, but like you're really bringing it to companies and to people and making it, you know, like available to everybody. So what's your, what's your skill set that you, that you are bringing to this that makes you different? Mm. Well, first, I don't think I have any unique skills. I'm way too average a person to think that might be true, but I have developed skills uh, that together help me craft goals, brainstorm different paths, synthesize and choose the one to follow, and then execute on that chosen path. Now, alas, I don't do any of these four things particularly well, so I'm constantly working on two other skill sets, which is enhancing uh, recognizing when I'm going down the wrong path uh, and then analyzing why did I do that so I don't repeat that mistake. So uh, I don't do either of those two things particularly well either, but by and large, I get incrementally better at all six of those things over time. So that usually generates better outcomes over time. Um, you know, I don't consider myself successful if that means I've reached a destination as opposed to having a good process with continuing better outcomes. It's like happiness. I hear people say things like, if only I could have a better boss, I'd be happy. If only the weather had cooperated, I'd have succeeded. If only blah, 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 I'd be whatever. Right. So to me, being successful means having a good process and avoiding bad practices uh, like that. The good, good process is employing this, for me, is employing the six things I just talked about. Setting a goal, thinking about different ways to reach it, choosing one and doing it, and then uh, having a good smoke detector to tell me when things are going off the rails. And finally, being able uh, and willing to endure the drill down into the root cause. So there are some useful tactics I've discovered along the way. Obviously, I'm a framework kind of guy. I'm talking about some frameworks that work well for me. I realize that's not everybody, so, um, uh, which is great. Uh, so many different ways to do stuff. But I found that saying, if only, leads to uh, bad outcomes. So I avoid saying that uh, in all situations. And if somebody else says that, my smoke detector goes off. And says, okay, what's going on with this person? They're exhibiting a fixed mindset thing. Let, let me work with that person, probe them, see if that's true, and, and maybe uh, 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 help each other. Um, so, but I found, by and large, people who say, if only, are deflecting reality and avoiding discomfort. Uh, another example, saying what I want to accomplish out loud is counterproductive if it keeps me from doing it. So studies have actually shown that people who do that get an endorphin release when they say it, oh, I'm going to do this. And then they don't see the need to actually do it. So sure, write it down as part of your plan. Don't blab about it. Save your talk for getting people to brainstorm, analyze different plans, and support uh, and implement those plans, chosen plans. 
And look, if you've done all this and you're working on it, then yes, by all means, tell everyone what you're going to accomplish. One thing that does work is what Jeff Bezos does at Amazon when they start a new project. They write a press release when they start the project, not when they finish it. Before they've done any work, the first thing they do is they write a press release. So this makes the goal with all the features and benefits and who's going to benefit from this project crystal clear. And it gives everybody a strong sense of direction. I love that so much. And I think that watching your language around if only, and I think a lot of people right now are, well, if only coronavirus wasn't happening, if only my kids weren't home, if only, if only, if only. And it is a way of avoiding reality. I mean, the reality is, is it's here. It's exactly right. Uh, you know, the whole reality discussion is fantastic. And I, of course, I have a framework for that. So what we're talking about here is there's, uh, you know, you've, you've heard about four stages of grief and there's, you know, I don't know, 12 steps if you're, if you're an alcoholic and there's different sure. things for, for different. So I have four steps of reality. And I the first, first step is denial. It's like, well, I don't really need to know that, um, you know, uh, several thousand people died in China from the coronavirus at the beginning, you know, in, in, in February, early March, or, I really don't have, I don't, you know, I, it'd, be, it'd be great if I did something about it, but I really can't concern myself with the fact that uh, there are sects in Africa that are killing and raping women. Now, uh, that, you know, it's bad, and I'm in, but I'm, look, I'm in denial on it because I'm not doing anything about it. And it's certainly, I don't have strong negative emotions about it, right? I'm just sort of like, I'm going to ignore that reality because I got to get on with my life. I have to pick and choose the things I'm going to care about. Those are terrible things. And a lot of people do care about it. And, you know, we're lucky in the world to have those people. I'm just not one of those people that's going to like spend three hours of my day to tackle some of these severe uh, issues that we have. So you could say I'm in denial on it. So I'm being perfect, you know, being very frank about what this means. The second stage is reality, uh, is a rejection of reality, which is now marked by emotion. Now we can say, you know, I'm really upset about this. I'm angry and I want to, you know, I want to do something about it. I'm pissed off though. And that's marked by frustration and anger and negative emotions. And so if you want to think of reality sitting in a corner, we now have, we're in denial. We put a wall so we don't see it. Now we've got a lens with a bunch of minus signs in it. We have a negative lens on reality. We only see what's bad about that reality. And so we're, that's the second stage. The third stage is acceptance where we remove the lens and now we're just looking at reality without judgment. There's no negative judgment on reality. We want to understand it better. And so the third stage is marked by questions like, okay, well, what caused that sect to have that behavior in Africa? And so we can start getting understanding of the situation without judgment. You know, it doesn't mean we're condoning it. We're asking questions to understand what reality is. And we find that a lot of people, if you just ask a question about something, other people will come and say, well, are you condoning that behavior? No, no, I'm trying to understand it, right? So, uh, and, and we need to go there before anything can happen. So all, if we were all computers, things would end with this acceptance phase. We ask questions of reality and we understand it. But the beautiful thing, being human, so we have this ability to uh, have lateral thinking. And if you look up lateral thinking in the, in the dictionary, it actually means illogical thinking. But it's these it's sort of the, the, the quantum uh, physics of the mind where, you know, in the, in the quantum vacuum, 
things are popping in and out of reality all the time and the particles emerge and they annihilate each other. So we have these quantum thoughts that kind of come out of nowhere. They're lateral thoughts. And for, if you're me, most of them suck, but occasionally there's a good one. And, and so if we can build a linear bridge to that illogical, seemingly illogical lateral thought, we really got something great and we get enthusiastic about it. And that's, you know, JFK's speech, we're to land a man on the moon and return safely back to earth. That is the type of thinking that only humans really can have. And that's how we achieve everything great that's achieved in this world as a result of that. So we move from acceptance, we get this lateral thought and we move into embracing. And now we've got an idea, it's like, you mean if we were to uh, have, uh, you know, I'm making stuff up because I don't know the situation of Boko Haram and other, these other sects that are causing so much pain you know, in, in Africa and other parts of the world. But, you know, maybe if we were to say is something in the diet, you know, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, a lot of people think this is true. I happen to think this is true because uh, there's some science behind it. We had huge murder rates in the 60s and 70s. New York City, thousands of people a year were being murdered. Now the murder rate's down to, I don't know, three or 400 a year. So a lot of, uh, there were a lot of police programs that went into place. So people said, well, there must be all these great police programs that worked, but it turned out that was coincidental, not, you know, but it wasn't cause, you know, correlated, not cause positive. What actually people actually think that what happened was that lead poisoning uh, was, was the root cause. Uh, kids were, you know, blood was in the environment, it was in the gasoline, it was in paint, it was in, in pipes. That's how it got, that's how, that's why PV is the symbol, it means plumbing so from, from ancient Rome. And so it turns out people get violent when they have a lot of lead in their systems and they have brain damage. And so a lot of people think today that the reason for the high murder rate in the 60s and 70s is actually environmental due to all the lead, which is a whole other story about a scientist who in 1915 or thereabouts was lobbying Congress on behalf of the lead industry, uh, who was paid by the lead industry and knew full well that lead was damaging. And so this, that's a great history. It's a great case study about how people can value things over truth in right. life. And it results in bad outcomes by and large when right. that happens. So that one story just has lots of them. But that's an example of the, the change framework and how we can move ourselves from denial to rejection to acceptance to embracing, and really, which really results in great outcomes. But it's hard to do. You know, when I'm in rejection and I'm angry about something, you know, it, I've really got to think CBT and say, okay, well, how do I want to behave in this situation? Because I'm sure feeling angry and not, you know, my amygdala is firing on all, all four cylinders. So what do you do? That's the hard thing. And that's, you know, that's an element of grit. That ability means you're, you, you can be more resilient if you can separate those two things out. I love that so much. So to, to, to add on to that lead story, um, the, so I'm a Wellesley College alum and we had our Alumni Achievement Awards. We have them in the fall. And the, one of the women who won an Achievement Award this year was an a, a MD out at Nebraska. And she was almost the leading voice in understanding how lead contaminated in the environment. Really? Oh, is that yes. great? Huh. She tells this fabulous story. So there, um, there was a battery smelting plant 
in her hometown and she was a pediatrician and she kept getting these kids with these like super high lead level i mean really high lead levels and um community you know like the 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 community public health effects of significantly high lead levels and she tells this story where she and a fellow md kept going to the um to planning and zoning and and the people like the the people in the town and saying we have to stop this. This is like literally killing our children. And they're like, yeah, but jobs. <laughs> and so um, what they noticed was that the pigeons were dying. And so she, she tells the story of there was like one Saturday where they, nobody was at work and they climbed the fence at the battery smelting plant, went over, got the dead pigeons, threw them so, so like she threw them to her colleague over the fence went and necropsied them and found these like catastrophically high levels of lead in these pigeons and it started her work that eventually ended up in getting the uh, clean air act passed really how about that yeah fantastic yeah. and it's because she had grit she wouldn't take no right she wouldn't take no for an answer that's a great example of grit and resiliency because boy you've got it's not just people saying to you, you know, making fun of you, it's, it could be life-threatening. Right, exactly. I think that's, I think that is super, super interesting. And really, when you, when it comes down to it, literally world changing, when we're able to create that sort of lateral thinking and quantum leaps, but we only get there, I love your scales so much, but we only get there after we accept, accept reality. Yeah. Right, that's exactly right. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. Okay. So now we've talked about, you know, we've talked about hiring people and making sure they have grit, but what about our entrepreneurs themselves? What advice would you give someone who either wants to be an entrepreneur or who is on their entrepreneurship journey? Well, you know, when, when you look at that journey, it's, um, I think I have the question why, in other words, why does an entrepreneur want to develop resiliency and grit? And talking about reality, what's the reality of the entrepreneur? When an entrepreneur or anyone for that matter tells me that they want to develop grit, they want resiliency, my first question is why? What's the reason? Because there are pros and cons to having grit. The pros are obvious. You know, you'll be more productive. You're willing to take on uncomfortable challenges and you're okay with failure. Those are actually the pros, but there are cons to being resilient or having grit. First, people will make fun of you or they'll think badly of you when you fail. I, you know, it's not pleasant for anybody to have the world, you know, be unhappy with you or look, you know, make fun of you or, you know, we're social beings. Second, it's hard work and it's painful. It's easier, at least in the short term, to sleep in, browse social media, watch TV, or give up when things are hard. So if you value what other people think of you more than your goals, you will not be resilient. It, there's no judgment attached to that. That's just an if-then statement. If you value comfort over digging deep to find the root cause of your problems, you will not be resilient. You won't have grit. Most entrepreneurs will not be resilient 
if they live to please other people or avoid discomfort. Now, when I say to please other people, I'm excluding, you know, I'm assuming they want to please their customer, but even that has its limits. You know, Steve Jobs didn't do things because his customers wanted, he did things for a higher purpose. And there were a lot of things he did that people thought were nuts that customers would hate. When the first Macintosh came out, he had a fixed amount of memory of 128K, which is laughable. But that's what he had in the machines. That's what people are going to need. Steve Jobs do that. He put it in. Macintosh, unbelievably popular, successful computer. So um, it, 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 even then, he wasn't listening always to his customer. So this thing is very interesting. You know, the thing is, there's good news. You know, you mentioned Carol Dweck. You may not be resilient now, but you can become resilient. You can get grit if you don't have it. Her book is called Mindset, and it demonstrates this potential. I love that so much. And I think that is a great place for us to end because you have given us so I'm going to like go back and listen to this like five more times because <laughs> there is so much good stuff here. Okay. So let's say it one more time. I know you said it during the, during the podcast, but where can um, people find your work or get in touch with you if they'd like more information? Uh, so if you're an employer, or an employee looking for a job or an employer looking to hire people, go to gritterprofile.org, gritter, G-R-I-T-T-E-R, profile.org. It's run by Rising Stars Foundation, a nonprofit. And go ahead and get your, you know, uh, spend a little bit of time, five, 10 minutes, you'll start knowing about your grit values and abilities. Uh, that's a great place to start. If you, are, if you have kids, if you're watching this and you have kids at home and you're like, okay, I wanna be sure I have really great curricula for them. If you, they're normally in school, you want to be sure they're prepared, find holes, diagnose their you know, holes and fill them. Go to schillerlearning.com, S-H-I-L-L-E-R learning.com. And it'll step you through, which is a lot of free stuff there. Um, and uh, if you would like to get a copy of the free fractions kit, it's a digital download, uh, uh, just email uh, sales at schillerlearning.com, make a request, uh, say that you heard about it from Larry Schiller, and they'll send you a link uh, so that you can get access to that for free. We want to support all the parents who are uh, doing double duty here, trying to uh, manage uh, their incoming telephone calls and whatnot, which Skype is amazing, isn't it, the way that works out? Uh, rings out all the devices. So uh, these are these are just you know resources for you, and uh, we hope this helps you through this tough time for everybody, and so you can make the best of it. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Larry, for coming on the show. And we will uh, put up links in the show notes for um, Gritter.org and Schiller Learning. And I look forward to diving into those. And I will go get fractions help for my kids because we <laughs> need it. <laughs> we need it. All right. Thank you so much. You have a fantastic day. Great. Same to you, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Be sure to join us in The Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.